Hello and welcome to episode two of the Martin H and Sons podcast. I'm Jonathan M0JSX. And I'm Gary M0TIG. Excellent. You've remembered your own call sign, Gary. Well done. I have. I don't use it very often, but I have remembered it. You've remembered it. Um, thanks to if you uh, watched and listened to uh, our last week's podcast. We did it as our Something for the Weekend video. Um, this one, I don't believe, will be our Something for the Weekend video. No, we'll it's do not. something else. It's not. No. This is This is our... We've now this is we've got our feet under the table, and uh, and we're, we're now sort of sliding in, and hopefully we'll know what um we'll have sort of a vague idea of what you're after from this and what we're doing and what we're doing. <laughs> oh, we have no idea. We've not a clue what we're doing. Uh, no, so we're going to try and uh, we're going to try and uh, weave our way through um, some questions that were po- posted in relation to our, our first episode. Uh, we'll also bring you some some news as well, and, and generally have a bit of a chat for about half an hour about amateur radio, or whatever else comes into or whatever else my comes weird up. mind. We we could end up talking about I don't know cheese on toast. It it could well be the case. Do you like cheese on toast? I do like cheese on toast. Excellent, yeah. good. Yeah, a bit of, bit of Worcester sauce, lovely. I like yeah. blue cheese. <laughs> do you? You're a blue cheese on toast kind of guy. Yeah, go for it. Why not? Anyway. Lovely. Uh, should we start with the news, Gary? You do the news. Okay, I'll do the news. I'm going to start this week with... Um, we often get asked... I don't know whether you do, Gary, but I often get asked, where can I do a full exam? Yeah. Or where can I do a full course? Yeah. Um, obviously, all the exams at the moment are online. But um, for, for many years, we've been always recommending the Bath-based distance learning course for the full exam. And since the syllabus changes a year ago or more... Um, they haven't been running them because they haven't updated all of the um, all of the training material for the new syllabus. Well, they now have, uh, and the Bath-based distance learning course is uh, back on. Uh, I'm going to read you the article from uh, GB2RS. The Bath-based distance learning team helped by nearly uh, helped nearly 800 students pass the advanced exam under the old syllabus. After reworking their training material, the team are now planning their first course for the full level exam syllabus. The course will run from March to June this year. Students will receive weekly work packages via a virtual classroom and will have access to weekly online tutorials. There will be no charge for the training, but applicants will need to work through a pre-course classroom and quiz to be eligible for a place. The deadline for course applications is Wednesday the 17th of February. To request full details and an application form, you've got to email steve, G0FUW, via g0fuw at tiskily.co.uk um, now I know Steve very well and is he, is he nice? he is very nice he's very knowledgeable um, he is one of I think Amateur Radio's good guys uh, and I think that um, if you get a place on on the bath course you are set you are going to pass it's almost guaranteed almost not 100% almost. You've, got to, you've got to put the work in but <laughs> Steve will definitely be there to help you. There you go, Gary. You you could get your full. Oh wait, you already have. I I did, I did do my my full. I did it with uh, with Reading Club. Um, so did I. Yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, that was good. It was good fun. Um, it was a bit uh, it was a bit daunting, as I recall. Um, it was a, a huge jump from the from the intermediate to the mm. uh, full. I was a bit shocked. I was shell shocked for about two years. I think after. <laughs> I'm still shell shocked. I've got no, it. It's, it's all good though. It was uh, it was well worth doing, and uh, it. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. It's actually saved my bacon because 
um, obviously working in engineering for a very long time, being made redundant, um, actually having the ham radio license kind of got me sort of involved with uh, with Martin Lynch and Sons, and uh, that's how now I I am. You made am. it your job. <laughs> that's what you're saying. So yeah, it was a good move. I could have been in a a whole heap of um, doodah if uh, if if it hadn't uh, gone the way it had. So it just goes to show, doesn't it, that. Uh, but just a lowly ham radio license can can be uh, you know a bit of a saviour. It can open doors. And is that all of the news? N- no, I've got some more. Oh, I've got okay. some more. I've got some more. The um, <laughs> the January 2021 edition of Radcom Basics is now available on the RSGB website for members to read. Uh, it is designed for new licenses or anyone who wants an introduction to a different part of amateur radio. Uh, this issue looks at antennas, setting up a radio bench, making a metal box and the value of listening as a radio amateur. Uh, you can go and find it at, if you're an RSGB member at rsgb.org slash radcom dash basics. Um, I've actually read some of Radcom Basics and I think it's very well produced. You know what, Gary, if you're interested in a um, in a magazine for the new ham, mm. the ARRL's um, version of Radcom Basics, they call it on the air, if you're an ARRL member, is brilliant. They've been doing that for about a year. Okay. Um, it's every other month they do it and it is I think it's very well produced so okay. Rack and Basics is good if you're also an ARRL member um, then you can get on the air as part of your membership package to the ARRL wow so um, should I should I also join that? Uh, it's entirely up to you The the if you're outside of the US mm-hmm. then the benefits of being an ARRL member I will be honest are limited you just you know, get the magazine you're basically in it for the magazines. Um, now, there's sort of if you if you want to join the ARRL, you can do is, is two sort of levels. You can either have a printed copy of the magazine of your choice. Now, there's mm-hmm. a few to choose from. Most people will choose QST, um, and you can have that. And this is the the level I'm on. I have that mailed to me um, every month. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a quite a costly one if you're outside of the US because it's. <laughs> It, you've got to pay for the postage ultimately oh, we don't mention postage at the moment let's not mention postage at the moment um, although weirdly QST has been arriving on my doorstep absolutely fine um, but the other one is you can have a digital only membership so you can have access to all of the magazines in a digital format um, and you get that with the normal with the other with the printed one you get access to all the other magazines in a digital format as well Um that's pretty much your only benefit if obviously if you're in the US and you also get to make use of things like the QSL Bureau and the FCC um, stuff as well there's a lot of benefits if you're a US ham there are benefits to being a member of the ARRL if you're a UK ham there are benefits to being a member of the RSGB alright well okay well I've um, I've certainly like a lot of, you know the digital content um, obviously being an iPad user it's uh, really really good to you know, it's, a, it's a really easy way of, of digesting it, it is and in fact the the ARRL have a dedicated app for uh, um, iPad right. for all of the magazines and and they revamped it about a year ago and since they did that it's, it's fantastic brilliant um, and, I, and I think without wishing to ruffle any feathers at the RSGB <laughs> I think there's a lot that you could learn from the ARRL map, um, oh. app yeah, I, th- I think so. But the thing is, I think we're in the UK when it comes to sort of the sort of some of these technical uh, kind of adoptions, you know, like especially with the digital content, I think there is a distinct um, maybe there's an age 
thing at the moment. I think it's it's changing a little bit. The demographic for the um, for ham radio in the UK is is definitely changing. People that are, that are coming through now are very digital minded. I think up until fairly recently, I think um, a lot of people still expected to see a paper, you know, magazine paper catalogue and that sort of thing. So I think you know, I think it may be in the US. It might be a little bit different. You know, where people are, are slightly more um maybe exposed to technology a little bit sooner I, I i don't know what the answer is what what the what the what the uh, the issue is but it certainly it would appear that way to me anyway yeah I, I think you're right i think that the um the level of of expectation is, is shifted in the hobby i think that's that's very true uh, talking of news from afar uh iceland uh is receiving positive responses to its post and telecom administration in December to their request for renewal of the amateur radio permits, permits rather, for 160 meters and four meters. Um, the frequency range of 1850 to 1900 kHz in specified international competitions is valid for one year between January the 1st and the 31st of December 2021, and the permit for the frequency range of 70 to 70 decimal 250 megahertz is valid for two years uh, up until the 31st of December 2022. Uh, licensees need to apply for and renew special permits to the PTA as older permits expired on the 31st of December. An email can be sent to hrh at pfs.is before shipments begin. Uh, it must be said that an application has been applied for a new period uh, for the above. There we go. So if you're in Iceland and you want to get on top band, you can have your oh, top band in a particular contest. You can have your um, your license updated to reflect that. And did you mention four meters as well? And there? four meters as well, yeah. Well, four meters for us that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? That would be some, you know. Good, I good mean, DX, that's Iceland, yeah. Yeah, that would be. That's almost doable as well. I'm sure of it. If you're in far north of Scotland, I'm sure it is. Yeah, like if you're in sort of. The um, either the end of the Outer Hebrides, you could easily work Iceland on four. Yeah, I was going to say that that would be uh, that would be one to get in your in your call book or in your in your diary. Yeah, and a nice little overlap between our band and and the band they've got there. Um, so you've got sort of two hundred fifty kilohertz of um, of shared allocation there. Okay, actually around the around the sort of the SSB end of the band, so work them on F SSB. Well, that's that's it. Get your four meter kit out. So suddenly, yeah. that's your your DX10, the seventy three hundred. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be really really nice. And a, and a and a four meter beam is not really that difficult to build either, is it? Or or get hold it's, of. And it's, it's certainly not very expensive if you bought one. No, it's absolutely. You could if you wanted an easy antenna to build for um for four, and and you didn't want to sort of do all of the calculations on a beam, you could easily build a um a four meter delta loop. That would nice. be very easy to build. Yeah, it would. And that kind of brings me on to the the, the one of the little um, highlights I've got in, in our little document here. Um is antenna talk. Maybe we should we should do some some bits and pieces on antennas sort of uh, you know over this sort of series. And that kind of then brings me on then. You were sort of talking about a delta loop. And um I've got one of the little highlighted things here which comes up constantly at work, and I'm sure you've been asked the question a gazillion times. I think everyone what is the best antenna? What is the ideal antenna to have in your in your all-purpose shack? And I think um, that's a pretty tough question to mm. answer. Well, that is a very tough question to answer. But you know, I think in in my particular location, 
VHF, UHF is kind of ideal to a degree because the antenna sizes are much, much smaller. I don't have to deal with any of that VDSL nastiness or, um, and I certainly don't have to deal with a, a massive great antenna outside. I mean, at the moment, I'm just using a, a fiberglass pole with one of those SGC237s or a CG3000 type affair attached to the, the bottom of it. And that works really, really well. I seem to... I seem to do all right with the with the FT8 uh, stuff. Not so well with phone, but you know that, that's that's probably down to me and my my skill set. Um, but certainly the FT8, I seem to do okay with. It's not so bad. Um, what what are you using at home at the moment? What? So I'm using. I've got sort of three antennas strung up in the garden, mm-hmm. um, and before my move, they're, they're going to have to come down. Uh-huh. Um, uh, in fact, two of them are. One, one of them staying for Dad. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I've got a half-size G5RV with the induction coils that we sell. Um, and then you get an extra bit of wire on either side of the induction coils, which makes it electrically an 80-meter... Uh, well, it makes it a full-size G5RV to cover 80. And I have to say, that works surprisingly well. If you're limited on space and, you can, and you've only got about the room in for a, uh, a half-size 5RV... You could bend the end of that antenna downwards um, at each end, and that that works. I say that works really surprisingly well um, on, on eighty meters. Uh, I've also got up a uh, one of the Bushcom uh, twenty and forty meter trapped dipoles, and again that works brilliantly. They're got that very well made, aren't they? Oh, they are fantastically made. Um, that's up as, as an inverted V. Uh, that's been up for three years. Never had to do anything with it leave it up and it works um and most recently i've uh slung up a uh, 10 meter end fed half wave um so a 10 meter length of wire with one of the 49 to 1 unons that we do uh, again that works very well on 20 meters although um i did for um dx uh, cq worldwide uh, a few weeks a couple of months ago i ran that up the side of a um a 10 meter fishing pole um, as a vertical antenna, and that worked very well. Good. Um, it worked very well until the pole snapped. <laughs> That's that, the problem, isn't it? That might have been my fault. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all down to guying. I've actually my pole out here. I've got uh, two sets of guys on because, believe it or not, although I'm sort of on the edge of London here, yeah. it, this is like a it's, there's a, like an L cove um, out here, and the mm. wind howls around that that little bit. And it really gets up to speed so much so that it hit that about oh, I don't know. Remember, I had a little bit of a drama. Um, the uh, the wind hit that that corner it took my aerial down well actually no the area the dx commander i had up at the time actually survived um but the wind hit that corner shot upwards took my ridge tile off which sent it about six foot spiraling into the sky which then landed in the middle of the roof and made a great big hole in it (laughs) i do remember that it cost me over a grand to get that fixed i was really really chuffed not 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 yeah what's the opposite of chuffed unchuffed unchuffed yeah so um yeah i wasn't particularly uh happy about that so yeah antennas for me are a real real pain in the neck and i i keep hearing all these you know, everyone says, oh, my aerial's the best and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's an interesting aspect to to antennas. What works for you may not work for me. And I think that's 
Um, that's quite interesting. I don't know what causes that. It's obviously, it's the location in some way. Mm. Um, but I remember when um, when I was living in uh, Frimley, the there was a, a an old uh, uh, an old hand there, a lovely, lovely guy. His name was William, and I can't remember his call sign. I'm really sorry, William, if you're watching. Um, but he's he was quite he was quite an old man then, and he said to me, um, as he said, oh, he said you're a radio ham, and I said yes. And he said, uh, so am I. He said, welcome to the H, uh, what was it, the RF black hole. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all built on, um, uh, Frimley is based all on uh, ballast up there. And it's all, mm. uh, it's gravel and uh, all that sort of stuff. But it's a fantastic place if you ever wander around sort of Frimley. It's got like the old fuel allotments and all sorts of things. It's really quite a spectacular place up there. And it's right on a ridge. Um, you would think that it would be fabulous, but it's it's not and uh but anyway there you go right so what what else have we got to do do you, do you want to pick anything from the list that um, uh... just one thing i want to pick up that we spoke about last week was about the emf stuff out mm. of Ofcom. oh yeah, yeah just to say that the rsgb have published a new Ooh. emf calculator revised version of it um and you can find that um on the it looks like it's under the rsgb membership section uh, so if you're a um, an RSGB member, you can I think you can get to it. But if, you, if I'm sure if you had a, a quick internet search of RSGB EMF calculator, you'll find it. But just say there's a new version of that that was um, uploaded uh, just a few days ago. I don't know what the changes are. I'm just bringing you it as as I see it. <laughs> well, I think at the moment, like it's like we said last week, it's all just sort of hearsay and talk at the moment, isn't it? So it's you know there's no there's nothing cast in stone and actually i think it's i think it's a good thing i think ofcom actually have done something really really quite positive you know they've um they've they've got a grip of all of this before it starts to get shoveled you know in our direction i think they've they've taken the 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 you know the the um the assertive kind of um, move i think which is really really good but anyway there you go and they've, they've talked about it um and i think that's all it is at the moment it's just talk um right what else um so is there anything else you wanted to 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 uh, uh news to wise at? that's me that's news wise that's me done yeah um, um what else quickly down the list here um a good question um oh. that that was on on our little list here is uh, uh why is upper side band used on the 60 meter band surely it should be lower side band ah now i did ask um Stuart Bryant from the RSGB this this question okay. G3YSX I believe yeah, he, he gave me a string of answers um, and the one that I can remember <laughs> okay <laughs> at my age um, was the uh, the fact that it's um, USB is is used by the um, you know the primary user basically mm. and uh, they one they want to hear you and two you you know you need to know where they are to, so you don't cause them any interference. Now, Richard at work pointed out that all this stuff is in the advanced manual. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right, he's, okay. He's printed me out. Just, uh, I mean, I, I, what I'll do is um, I'll find out where he got it. He got it off of uh, Wikipedia. So what I'll do is I'll get Henry to put the link to this in the in the little bottom bit. Um, but <laughs> he's highlighted me all this he's stuff. Highlight oh, wow, he, he's, he's prepped <laughs> he's, you there, hasn't he? He has, yeah. He's, uh, he's a nice man. He's prepped me for that one just in case I got quizzed completely on it. But no, it was, uh, yeah, so he's done all of that. And he's given me a, um, a reference data. Look, he's given me the whole lot. 
for the... you're, you're all said past your advanced exam again. I, I know. Yeah, I, I still don't know how I did it last time. But anyway, there you go. There's another. That's another story. Right. So yeah, that was uh, that was the answer I was given, and it makes perfect sense to me. And I've seen it written down in the manual, so it's all good. Um, go. Now then, if we've got any good questions in it. Um, 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 got, oh, oh no, is is one that's kind on. of related. My my local council and neighbours won't allow me to put up a big antenna. What are my um, options for operating HF HF covertly? Apart from the obvious answer. What don't operate? No, move. Well, Apart from you, the obvious answer. Yeah, well, all right. But just in case you can't. So okay. what are the options? Uh, if you've got a loft space, you could always run an antenna in the loft space. It wouldn't be as good as something outside. Might but be a bit noisy. Might be a bit noisy. But if you wanted to play with data modes, that would work. Um, I know a, a, a local amateur around my way that um, uh, who is restricted with what he can do antenna wise. Yeah. Not not necessarily by the council, or or by his neighbours, but by the station manager. Um, <laughs> and he has a, a bit of wire in the loft, and right. and he does very well on on certainly on FT8 on, on most bands. Okay. Um, you could also if you've got a fence line, you could easily run a piece of wire along the fence. Uh, provided your fence is made of wood, yeah, um, that would that would work. Um, or if you can get away with it, just run a very thin wire. Um, you can buy from companies like Soda Beams, or you can probably get them on eBay as well. To be honest, um, very thin covert wire. Oh, which is I can invisible. I can I can tell you a horror story about that stuff. I did an experiment a long while ago on um, because obviously coming from a from an engineering background, I've actually been dealing with welding wire. Yeah. And on the MIG machines, there's actually a really, really thin wire, and it can be 0 0.6, 0 0.8, or 1.2 millimeters thick. And I used to, um, I used to have a, a, a spoiled spool of, um, of I think it was aluminium wire. Basically, it had been contaminated, so we couldn't use it. So I brought the reel home, and I was using this one point. I think it was actually it was 1.2 aluminium uh, wire. It was really, really thin, and it was almost like a spider web. There is a bad thing about this, okay? Birds don't see it, and they fly into it. I do not know how, all right? Honestly, it was absolutely horrific. I couldn't cope with it. Um, but the um, I, I just don't know how it works, because, you know, it's one tiny piece of wire, and you would think that it's in the sky, and it, they why are they using that particular route, you know? Can't... The odds of that happening are just like, you know, scarily small, but they did it. So I felt terrible. So that had to come down. So you can't go too thin. Not certainly not for a, for a, a permanent uh, install. But that, you that can. That, that reminds me of, of one occasion where there's a we had a pole, um, a two inch pole down the bottom of the garden that was supporting one of the, right. uh, the G5RV. And somehow, and I don't know how, a red kite managed to hit it. A red kite? A red kite. Was it all right? It was. It flew away. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be just absolutely heartbroken. I don't know what I would do. Would do. Anyway, so, yeah, so, the, so loft antennas, um, I get asked that one a reasonable amount, actually, because um, a lot of people put in the, the baby loops and the that sort of loop in the, in the loft. And the, I have a bit of a concern with putting any kind of... Um, 
loop with a big capacitor or anything in in a loft where you're not going to be near it and that is you know the element of fire risk if you're if you're a little bit um overzealous with the power and you get a flashover or something like that you know you can't rule it out can you really so i i i, I would suggest to anyone if they do that sort of thing and they've got a loop in the uh, loft make sure you've got a smoke alarm up there or whatever i don't know I, i'm not no expert on that sort of stuff but you know you, you, i would that would be my my only concern you have to be a little bit careful but also would, you would might, one of the mfj loops be better because it's an enclosed um, capacitor possibly i'm not you know but there again you can't rule anything out and you just no, have to be can't. careful i think if you're going to put sort of something like that up mm. in in a loft space where no one is going to be able to sort of see it you, what you don't want is it for something to go wrong and you know it'd be up there that's that's my only thing so do keep a regular check on things if you've got them up in the loft but I, also the other one that's quite a good one is that um is it the um the folded um dipole do you remember um, was it the tm oh, the T, t2fd that's the one um that's quite a good one to put up there because if i remember rightly diamond do a shortened version of that the 330s yes they do Yes. Now I've got one of those. Um it was uh, it was one of the ones that came in um from probably a silent key or something like that. Um and I did some some experiments with that. That's actually quite a good receive aerial and it's a moderately good um TX aerial. It's not brilliant, um but it certainly is um a very good receive aerial. Um and it seemed to work on on data mode so that's that's another option and the good thing with that one because it's actually folded and in, into a loop sort of shape it does reject sort of some some of the noise that you might find in a loft space so yeah and nice and wide band as well yeah it, and uh, yeah i think actually am i right in thinking that was it's not i don't think it's one i don't think it's top band through I think to it's 10. 80 meters it is 10. it's 80 through to, to uh, 10. So that that's a nice antenna. That's a good option, just if you've got real tight space limitations, because you can also with that one you can hook it up at sort of like a, a bit of an angle, um, thirty degrees or so. And I'm told that in in some of the military um, kind of that type of installation, they mm. use a central pole and they put four of them up to make up sort of like a wigwam sort of shape. Oh, okay. Now, what they're doing with them, how they're using those antennas. Now, someone did say to me, they, you know, that there was a possibility of them using them in a particular way, but I'm not sure what that is. So that's an interesting one, that one. And they're only, I, they're only what, 10 metres? Yeah, they're quite short. I would imagine they're phasing them in that kind of array. They're right. phasing them in order to get directionality out of them. Yeah, all right, maybe. But it looked good. Uh, it, it, um, apparently yeah. it all works. So, I mean, I know that uh, with all these sorts of things, they're probably using some funky um, sort of modes or something like that. And you know, maybe it was all part and parcel to that. But, you know, it's, mind you saying that, it's, it's quite a long while ago now because um, it was actually my friend who was ex-military that was talking about it. And unfortunately, he's now silent keys. And that was he, he, that was a long, long while ago. So um, what else have we got on here? So, uh, I think... Uh, a, a a question related to a video that I know you've done on your own oh, channel. Oh dear. Uh, what desktop radio? I don't suppose it has to be mm. desktop at all. But what radio would be best for operating FT8 and FT4? Um, FT8 and FT4. Well, a desktop radio. I, now I'm going to probably 
uh, I'm going to hedge my bets on this one a little bit. I'm probably going to say there's there's three radios which which would probably be my go-to now, um, and I think you can guess pretty much what they are. I would my favourite digital is is one of them there. Is that one of them? That is one of them. Yeah, is that one um, of them? Okay. Yeah, I think probably my my go-to digital radio I think is still the Kenwood Five Ninety, possibly. Followed mm-hmm. up very quickly by something like an FTDX10 or um, something like that. However, I don't think you can look in. You know, you can't look past the 7300. You can't. You know, the, the, I think that's a really good radio for that sort of stuff. And it's bang for buck. It's fabulous. Um, and it's um, someone did actually say that that one was a true sampling SDR. Am I got this right? I hope I have. Um direct sampling it's direct sampling it, yeah the 7300 is direct sampling the FTDX 10 is is diff- not it's a hybrid it, it's a hybrid yeah yeah and the IC705 is direct sampling up to 25 megs above 25 megs it down samples to right. 25 megs okay well you see that's your young mind remembering all these facts and figures um, <laughs> is the um the the 590 what makes that work so well on digital modes because it's really really it's just such a lovely it's almost like a i don't know really it's like a smooth <laughs> i don't really know how to describe it it's like creamy tea it's just like it is um it's just a very pleasurable experience with the i i think on the 590 it's it's got a very good receiver in it full stop mm. and i think the thing that makes digital modes so um, appealing is their ease of, of how to do it um, but what makes them work very well is a, is a really wide receive bandwidth and I think on the 590 you can really extend your receive bandwidth out quite a bit with the 7300 I think you're limited to about 3k um, I think it's about the same on the um, on the 705 and um, I'm not sure about the FTDX10 but I imagine it's probably about the same I think on the I think on the 590, you might be able to get that about to 3.5k on receive. So you can really fill your waterfall um, without having to continually change your VFL or your radio. Now, in practical terms, it probably doesn't make a lot of difference. Whatever radio you've got, you will be able to do FT8 with it. It's just however how you interface to it. And if you're running an older radio, you know, something pre-USB on the back then you might have to be a little careful in how you um, in how you interface. Now obviously um, in terms of interfaces you know, say if you're running a um, let's think, if you're running an FT450D for instance, which is a radio that both Gary and I have owned at one point um, you can you, you've got sort of two options with how you interface to it. You can go down the route of a sound card interface on like a, a Tigertronic signal link USB which is a good solution it'll get you on the air yeah it's not the best solution though I'd say because if you're running one of those radios from Yaesu that doesn't have the USB port on the back you're better off going with the SCU 17 yeah for the simple reason in what a lot of people don't initially realise when they start playing with with FTA and I didn't either is the software wants to be able to control the actual VFO frequency of your radio and you'll often see it when you go to transmit and you've got it configured properly, it will shift your the VFO frequency by about um, about half a K. Um, 
to compensate and keep the transmitted audio well within the pass band of the radio. So you've got to be careful about that. So if you're running um, a radio that doesn't have a USB port on the back and you can't do it easily, look at what your options are to get cat controlled as well. I know that West Mountain Radio do a, a few interfaces as well. Yeah, I've, I've actually I've, I've had one of those in the past and they're, they're such a good thing, those. I like those. Mm. And, and I think it's definitely the way that... Um, it's definitely the way that you you should look to go if you want to do those particular modes. Yeah, I mean, Yaesu, I think, are pretty, I won't say unique, but they're certainly almost all of the older radios tend to have a cat port, an RS-232 port on the mm -hmm. back, which is easy to interface now with yeah. a, a simple, you know, five-quid dongle from, from Amazon. Um, you can, you know, easily interface with that. Um, and also... Um, you know something like a tigertronics is fairly easy to set up what i will say about the scu 17 is that it can have you know slightly uh, longer or uh, curvier learning curve than uh, maybe a tigertronics and the but the downside is with with a lot of these sort of things is you need to configure the box itself for different radios and i've had you know calls where people have just taken their box tried to plug it into another radio and then get themselves into to a bit of a pickle um one of the things that comes up from time to time also is that you know lots of questions on connecting wsjtx to their radio using the scu 17 or tigertronics or whatever it might be and for those people that get stuck with that if they've got older radios or newer radios and they're getting stuck make sure you get to the to the um is it princeton uh university or uh, yeah yeah you make yeah, sure you get to their wiki uh, page because they've got the most amazing document have you seen it it's huge um for well, how to connect different radios well no just just using that that program it's it's yeah. uh, it's they've really taken their time doing that which is uh well it's, it's um joe taylor uh it's all behind it isn't it um all right okay uh, what's it called then? k uh, k1 jt i think it's called all right okay um cool. I, know I know it's a bit like a it's a bit like a um uh, one of those combination locks you've just got to get the combination right that mm -hmm. works for your radio um one just little note though is please watch your power on on these things oh, yeah. um yeah we still get um from time to time you know people have uh, done some damage so uh, yeah. do do be careful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so what's any, next? Uh, what's next? Um, I was scrolling down our little document here uh, a little, Gary. Mm -hmm. uh, new firmware for the FTDX10? Yeah, there was. There was new firmware for the FTDX10. <laughs> I don't know what it did, um, but I put it on. It went uh, it, it went in really, really easily. It was only... it was There were two upgrades by the looks of it, and I think it was the... I think it was the main and the screen. I think off the top of my head, um, can't remember. But it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, really easy to do. It wasn't a difficult process. So uh, thank you, Yesu, for catching up with uh, with all that sort of stuff. I think on all their later radios now, especially their big ones, it's all SDR firmware updates rather than this strange stuff with cables and yeah. funny screen switches I and, and yeah. I mean, I remember on the I updated the firmware on my FT450 once. Right. That was a scary process. You have to go under the radio and get your little screwdriver and click a little switch <laughs> to put it, into, put it into like the firmware update mode. Then plug it into your computer and, and you have to do it on the third Sunday of the month. Otherwise, oh, right. it's going to blow up on you. Yeah, it's, uh, okay. that was a bit. Um, that was a bit scary. Right. Well, the um, 
yeah that was that was yeah it was a very easy process and i think on um i think it was worse on something like the the original do you remember the ft2000s and stuff like that oh, you used to you yeah. used to have to make a dummy plug up i think for some yeah. of them i can't yeah. remember if it was the 5000 or the two i think it was the 2000 you had to do the dummy plug thing for um yeah so anyway there you go right now then so what else have we got on our little thing um what we got here what we got let's let's do a question should we do another question go, do another question Gary. right okay so why is there a fuse in both the positive and negative dc power leads for radios well that one's fairly straightforward i think but belt and braces belt and braces um if you get an earth return or something like that i think obviously you've got it's protect the cable isn't it so if the radio mm. um if you've got uh, say a st like you're starting your car or something is a there's an earth return if it goes back down the the negative lead then obviously it'll blow that lead rather than set fire to your car i think that's uh it's belt and braces it's protecting the cables from from fire basically um and if if something tries to get the the ground you know tries to get a a, a, a return via the negative cable via the antenna or something like that it basically mm. blows that fuse so that's that answer i think um if you know better if, you, if anyone knows better then please you know yeah, we're, we're, absolutely. Open, we're, we're all open <laughs> Uh, here's a going, Gary. Go what on. relation does SWR have to receive performance? Will a one-to-one -one SWR antenna perform better than a four-to-one for receiving? Uh, yes. Excellent. Oh. Thanks for watching. Uh, <laughs> no, go on, Gary. Oh, I would have said it would. Wouldn't you? It will do. It will do. It will. Um, it will have a, an impact. It will work better than a four-to-one. But if you're just receiving any bit of wire shoved up in the air is better than no bit of wire shoved up in the air. Yeah. So even if you do have a horrendous SWR on receive, um, you're likely to... It's it's not as critical as it would be if you're transmitting. So, yeah. If you're I, if you're new to the hobby, if you just want to do a bit of SWLing, shove, shove a bit of wire up. Yeah, I think you can you can see that if you get sort of like an antenna with a tuner on it, the, the, the more to resonant you get, you can see the noise floor, everything pick up. So I think it makes a, it does make a difference. It's like you say, but it's not going to be horrendously different. But anyway, there you go. So we've been going a long time. Yeah, I think it's time to finish. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Um, we'll do another one of these next week. If you want to uh, pop a comment uh, into the, the the comment section on if you're watching on YouTube, uh, then uh, then please feel free and um, we'll potentially uh, answer your questions and uh, points uh, next week. Um, you can also email us if you want to email us uh, on the sales uh, email address sales at hamradio.co.uk um, with any questions if you're listening to us as, as the as the audio podcast uh, we'll be very happy to answer your, your points as well uh, but for this week that's that's pretty much us that's us done I've been Jonathan Sawyer thanks very much indeed and I've been Gary M0TIG thank you bye bye see ya bye